Mark 7, 24 through 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good evening. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace Downtown, and we're glad that you've chosen to worship with us tonight. Um, The kids are already heading back. They know what to do. Kids, you can head back and find the elementary school class at the blue sign there on my left, and the preschool sign is the orange one there. Kids, you can go ahead and head on down with your teachers. They'll be back up for the final song at the end of the night here tonight. I want to tell you a little bit about uh, the church and some ways that you can get involved uh, before we jump into the scripture for tonight. So you'll see up here on the screen some ways that you can get involved here at Grace. You can click on that QR code, scan that QR code, and you can do any of the four things that you see up there, and we would encourage you to do so. Uh, We want to be a group of people that actually knows one another, so we take opportunities each month to uh, fellowship and be together before or after the service. And so next week, we are going to start the Thanksgiving celebration a little early. And um, after service next week, we're going to have some pumpkin pie and some decaf coffee. So plan on sticking around after service next week. We're going to have pie, decaf coffee. So join us uh, after the service next week uh, to celebrate Thanksgiving with your church family. I want to take uh, some additional time here uh, to talk a little bit about what we have mentioned in the past that it is our intention to move to Sunday mornings in the new year. So we want to let you know uh, tonight that we are going to move to Sunday mornings uh, starting in January right as we come back from the holidays. So January 7th, we will start meeting on Sunday mornings. There's a number of reasons that we're moving to Sunday morning, uh, but it is not a decision that we have taken lightly. It's something we've been working on. We've been talking to leaders downtown. Really, it started last November, so for a full year now. Uh, Then we sent out a survey in the spring to get feedback. We've been talking to community group leaders. We've been talking to all of our members one-on-one a couple different times to really get a sense of, is this the right thing for us. And so we feel like for the majority of people in our congregation and also the majority of the people we are trying to reach in Iowa City, that this is a good move for us as a church. And by the grace of God, over the last year, it's become possible for us to move to Sunday morning for the first time. So we're going to start meeting on Sunday mornings um, starting January 7th. Now, first, um, we know that not for everyone, this is not good news. Uh, There's a few folks in our church that are a part of our church community because they've been looking for a church that meets on Sunday evenings. In fact, some that have joined this fall and said, I finally found a church that meets on Sunday evenings. 
and we're like, oh, sorry, uh, we're moving. So we know it's not good news for everyone. And for those folks, uh, we want you to first know that we see you and hear you, and, and it's been a consideration as we've gone into this. The second thing is there's already talk of those people getting together still on Sunday evenings and doing something like a mix between a communion service and a community group on Sunday nights uh, for folks that are, especially uh, people in the medical community uh, that meet uh, miss out on Sunday mornings uh, quite often. So we'll keep you updated on that. Before we move on, I'm going to spend some extra time on this because this is a big deal for us as a church and we want to make sure that all the facts are out there. Um, an email will go out tomorrow morning that will say all of this as well. But before we jump into the sermon, I want to cover uh, the four most frequently asked questions about moving to Sunday morning just to get it out there uh, for you guys. So first, we're looking at either a 10 a.m. or a 10.30 start. We haven't landed on one, but the idea is that no one has to get here before the sun comes up to set up and we're all out of here for lunch or we can do lunch together. So we're looking at a 10 or 10.30 start. Uh, monthly, we are either going to have pre-service donuts or an after-service meal. Uh, that's been the second most asked question. One is, when do we start? And the second is, can we still have food? So uh, that's something you can look forward to as well. Uh, third, the Congolese church will still be worshiping here down in the common room. And they will be here. Um, they start when they start and they end when they end. So they will be here at the same time as we are. Uh, they meet longer than we do. Um, and so they'll be here all uh, morning while we are here. So what that looks like is some opportunities. Uh, we want to set up a regular prayer time with their pastors before their service starts. Uh, we want our kids and their kids to do some children's ministry together down in the library downstairs. And um, who knows what God may have in store for us to partner with them as we meet here in the building. Um, we think it can provide some opportunities for us. The last one is we'll continue to have the same kid offerings that we started this fall which means a nursery class, a preschool class, and an elementary class. So those are the most frequently asked questions. There are others as well. Um, you can expect to start seeing some small changes starting next week that will get us ready to meet on Sunday mornings. When we meet on Sunday mornings, there's some things that are going to be a little bit different, like the bathrooms directly down those stairs. We're going to have those doors locked and closed because the Congolese church worships loudly and it comes up that stairway so we're going to keep that door shut um, and we can hear their worship from downstairs but we can't quite make out what it is but if we open that door we could make out every word so we're going to shut that door starting next week and we're going to use the bathrooms back here you can take your kids through back here so some changes like that that'll start getting us ready for some of the changes that are to come when we meet on Sunday mornings. We're gonna start encouraging, I'll give you a sneak peek at one of the other changes. We're gonna start encouraging you to get to church early, to get to church early. Um, we want to create a culture where we're getting here on time, we're preparing our hearts to worship, we're fellowshipping together. And so that first service on January 7th, we're gonna entice you with donuts and coffee. So we're gonna have some coffee for you, some donuts, and we're gonna put them away right when the service starts, okay? So get here on time. We're gonna train you to get here on time. So that is what's to come. You'll get an email with all of that information tomorrow. You can spread the word, fully public knowledge now that everybody is on the same page. Um, and please ask questions. We would love to answer those for you, and you may even have one that we haven't thought of yet. So 
Now, let's jump into the text. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that we can open up your word. Your word is truth. God, we pray that you would show us excellent, wonderful, truthful things in your word. God, we pray that you would speak to each one of us very specifically here tonight. Jesus, we have so much to say thank you about. We pray that we would see the beauty of your good news and all you've done for us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing in uh, the book of Mark. If you want to go ahead and open up to chapter 7, we're going to cover four stories uh, at the end of Mark 7, beginning of Mark 8. We aren't going to be able to go into detail on all four of them, uh, but that is where we're headed if you want to go ahead and open to Mark chapter 7. Tonight, we are going to hear Jesus talk in each of these stories, or three out of the four at least, about bread. That's going to be the big idea of tonight. It's bread. I love bread. I'm going to show you some pictures of some good bread, just so we can have a mental image here in our head. Look at this nice sourdough with the perfect crack. When I showed this on the screen earlier, Bo said, I actually made one of those today. I should have just brought it. I love rolls. Thanksgiving's coming up. And look at those rolls. Doesn't that just make you hungry? Doesn't it just make your stomach growl a little bit? Next, look at that. One of those braided loaves. And that piece right there has butter on it. That makes it even better. Bread and butter, just as Jesus intended for them to be. Look at that. Just a nice hasn't been cut into loaf. Can't you just smell what it smells like in the house after you cook this? Can't you just imagine cutting into it, putting some jam on it? That's that's good living right there. One more, bagels. One of the highest forms of bread, especially when it has cream cheese on it. And just to be clear, this is definitely not a Brugger's bagel. I know that they're like Iowa-owned or something like that, but I I value my teeth. I don't want to break them on those hard bagels. So it's only Panera bagels for this guy. So this is a few of my favorite kinds of bread. Today, Jesus is going to have a lot to say about bread. But one of the themes that we've seen in the book of Mark is that Jesus is going to talk about one thing, And people are going to totally miss the actual point of what he's talking about. However, tonight in one of these stories, we will see one person who shows faith and understanding. And it's the person that we would least expect. So if you haven't already, please turn with me to Mark chapter 7. I'm going to summarize the four stories. And then we're going to go back to the beginning and we're going to cover uh, the first story that we heard in our scripture reading again. So first, we hear our scripture reading for tonight, the Syrophoenician woman and how she shows faith. Last week, we looked at Mark chapter 7 and we heard Jesus say there's nothing outside of a person that goes into him that can defile him. But it's only the things that come out of a person, the things that come out of a a heart that can defile a person. Jesus was describing for us what is clean and what is unclean. Tonight, we're going to start with Jesus going to a whole people that's unclean. 
He's going to continue this theme of uncleanliness by even the people he's going to. If we take a look at this map of Bible times up here, I get to use the laser pointer tonight. I get to talk about bread and use the laser pointer. Didn't you guys miss me the last two weeks preaching? Okay, so this is a map of Jesus's ministry. And if you, I'm going to do it over here. So if you can look over here, I'm going to point over here. Um, This is the area we're familiar with Jesus doing ministry. This is where he does most of his ministry. So Jericho, Emmaus, Jerusalem, Bethany. We know Bethlehem, Sea of Galilee, all that stuff right down here. That's where he does most of his ministry. This is Jewish territory down here. But in this first story, we're going to read that he's in Tyre and Sidon. You can see on this map that they're right up here. And you can see that this is not in Galilee. This is not in Samaria. This is north of the area where Jesus does most of of his ministry. This is Gentile land. This is a place where Jews did not go. Even Romans did not go. True Romans did not go north of this area. So this area is an area of Gentiles. In fact, a couple of historical uh, ideas about what took place in these communities. In Matthew 11, Jesus laments that his own people were unbelieving, but the Gentiles in Tyre and Sidon even were. He's using it as a contrast. He's saying even those Gentiles up there, he's referring to them as the worst of people. And then we read from first century historian Josephus who says this was the Jews' biggest enemy. These Gentiles right here along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. That's where we pick up our story. And we find this woman who asked Jesus to heal his daughter, to deliver his daughter. And then Jesus uses this metaphor. He uses this metaphor of the dogs and the crumbs and the table. And this woman picks up on what Jesus is saying. And he interpret, she interprets the metaphor right away and knows what Jesus is saying and says, yes, but even the dogs under the table will eat the crumbs from the master's table. We're going to talk more about this metaphor in just a minute. But she gets that in this story, Jesus is talking about Jews and Gentiles. Jesus here is saying, I first came to share the things of the kingdom with the Jews, and you're a Gentile, so you're going to have to wait for your deliverance. But this woman understands Jesus' metaphor, and so Jesus grants her daughter healing. This whole idea of the Jews first and then the Gentiles was the plan of God, but was not always the rule that Jesus followed. We see this is the plan of God from the beginning of scripture in Genesis 12. We see God choose Abraham and says, I'm going to make a great nation from you. We see this in Jesus's ministry, like right here. We see in Romans 9, where Paul says, the prophets, the law, the promises, they first belong to the Jews. Then we see Paul planting churches in the New Testament in the book of Acts. He's first planting churches among Jewish communities, and then that spreads to Gentile communities. So this is the pattern and the plan of God and the ministry of Jesus, but it's clearly not the rule. Because here Jesus sees faith in this woman. This woman understands what Jesus is talking about when so many others did not. How did this woman have the ability to persuade Jesus? How did this woman, this Gentile woman, have the ability to understand what Jesus was talking about. 
continue on to the next story. And like I said, we'll come back to this story. Then we read in 7, 31 through 37, the story of Jesus healing a deaf and mute man. In this story, this is taking place back in a familiar place to us, right here on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, in the Decapolis, this area of the 10 Gentile cities. So again, just as we've learned in Mark, this is another 10 cities of Gentile cities where Romans and Jews did not go. It was Gentile land. There are all these clans of people that lived out there. This was not a typical place where we would expect to find Jesus, but he's here again. And a man comes up to him, and it says in all of our English translations that I've found that he was deaf and mute, but the Greek word that's used here means that he was stammering. He had such a heavy stutter, he couldn't make out intelligible words. The reason that that, that's important to understand is that that word, stammering, is used only here and one other place in Scripture. And it's a very unique word. The other place that we find this word for stammering is found in the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies that one day the kingdom will come and when the kingdom comes, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like the deer and the tongue of the stammering will sing for joy. This language is being used because Mark wants to communicate to us as Peter dictated to him that Jesus was the fulfillment of this promise in Isaiah that the kingdom had indeed come. And we see that as Jesus heals this man because he says to him and he says to his ears, be open. Scripture tells us that by Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus, all things were created. By the word of Jesus's mouth, he can unstop someone's ears. He can bring a stammering tongue and turn it into a song of praise. We see here another example of Jesus healing in a Gentile land. And look at verse 37. It says the people were astonished. Verse 37, they were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. As we continue into chapter 8, we see an account of Jesus feeding 4,000 people. He is now back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He has now made his way down again into Jewish lands. So some time has passed here. He's sailed back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He's gone south into the lands where we're used to hearing him teach. And now there's people, 4,000 it says, coming to hear Jesus teach. This story is very familiar to what we heard from Pastor Joe a couple weeks ago about the feeding of the 5,000 with a few notable differences. First, in this story, Jesus presents the problem to the disciples. Instead of the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, we don't have enough food to feed all these people, Jesus says, we don't have enough food to feed all these people. What are you going to do about it? Also different in this story is that it says what their physical condition is. They're fainting due to their hunger. And then instead of the 12 leftover baskets that we read about a couple chapters ago, we see seven leftover baskets of food here. Otherwise, a very similar story to what we found with Jesus feeding the 5,000. Chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, we see the Pharisees 
the religious leaders come to Jesus and demand that he show them a sign that he is the Messiah. Instead of doing so, he says, no sign will be given to you. The thing is that Jesus had been doing signs and wonders and teachings about the kingdom of God over and over and over again, but they want him to keep doing tricks. They want him to keep astonishing them so that they will know if he's the Messiah or not. Jesus doesn't satisfy them and Jesus doesn't do the sign that they're looking for for two reasons and they're related. The first one is he's been doing all these signs and they still don't believe. The second reason is they didn't have faith. We've seen this time and time again with Jesus. People that don't have faith either don't come to Jesus or come to Jesus with the wrong motives. And we're seeing that again here with the Pharisees. And lastly, we're going to read uh, Mark 8, verses 14 through 21. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Here in this story, Jesus asked the question, you've seen all these miracles. You've seen me feed all of these people. I had 12 baskets left over the first time. I had seven baskets left over the second time. And now you're in the boat and you're wondering where your food's going to come from? You don't think I can feed 12 guys in a boat after all that I did? Do you still not understand? He has this indictment against them because he, they lack faith that he's going to provide, but also because they continue to fail to understand the things of the kingdom. We have in this first story this Gentile woman that is understanding that Jesus is not talking about physical bread. And then... His disciples that have seen all of this, that have walked through all of this with him, still think that the point is bread. Jesus is bringing about the kingdom. He is healing by the word of his mouth. He is saying to the deaf, be open, and their ears are opened. He is providing abundantly to the point where there's baskets and baskets of bread left over. And now the disciples are on the boat, and they're supposed to be talking about the great things that Jesus is doing and talking about their strategy for reaching the whole known world. And they say, we're kind of hungry. We're out of bread. Oh no, what are we going to do? This sounds so familiar to when I lack faith. I've seen Jesus do so much. He says, I'll supply everything that you need. And I say, I would really like some bread right now. Where are we going to get some bread? Jesus, how are you going to provide in this boat, in this situation? So let's go back to the first story. We see here from the Pharisees and the disciples that they don't have faith. They don't understand the things of the kingdom. They don't even understand what Jesus is talking about. 
But if we go back to this first story, we see what true faith looks like. So back to Mark chapter 7. Starting in verse 24, we're going to go kind of line by line here and take a look at a few things. The first, we'll take a look at verse 25. Verse 25, it says, this woman immediately, immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. First, this woman shows true belief, not with what she says, not with what she intellectually assents to, but what she does. Jesus and his disciples are trying to get away from the people and she bursts in and immediately runs up to Jesus and says, I need your help. This woman shows true belief by falling at the feet of Jesus. The Pharisees could say all the right things. The disciples had seen Jesus do many things and could answer many questions about the kingdom and they've seen him do many miracles. But this woman has true belief because she immediately comes to Jesus and she falls at his feet. And then in the Greek, we see here that she doesn't just ask Jesus. It's a continuation. The verb is continuing. She is persistently asking Jesus. She doesn't stop asking Jesus until he responds. She's falling at his feet and saying, please, 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 until Jesus responds. And then she calls him Lord. She calls him Lord. This woman is showing true belief. Verse 26, now the woman was a Gentile, Syrio-Phoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. This Gentile woman valued what Jesus had to offer her. It's what she valued the most, was what Jesus could provide for her. Falling at his feet is what she valued most. She was willing to feast on the scraps of his table, on the scraps of the kingdom of God, than what she had to this point. In Matthew 5, 6, we read in the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. This woman had not been satisfied by anything else. This woman had not found answers anywhere else. But she falls at the feet of Jesus. She comes hungry and thirsty for what he can do. Then in verses 27 and 28, we read this metaphor. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. We know from the context, we know from the language, we know from the fact that dogs did not live in the city most often, did not live in people's homes, but lived outside of the city. They were wild animals that lived outside of the master's house. Jesus here is talking about Jews and Gentiles. He's saying, I came for the Jews first, and so the Gentiles, you are going to have to wait. But this woman understands his metaphor, understands what she needs, understands what Jesus can give her that no one else can, and is hungry and thirsty and calls him Lord. She was doing, willing to do whatever it took to get what only Jesus could give. 
Then we read in 29 and 30. She answered him, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in bed and the demon was gone. This whole story shows that this woman had faith in only what Jesus could do. Jesus's love is abounding, spilling over the table to all who would believe, Jew and Gentile alike. This woman understands that. Jesus provides and there's baskets left over. Jesus provides and there's bread falling off the table. Jesus provides and his grace and his mercy are abounding, particularly to those who know that they hunger and thirst for him. These stories show us the contrast between belief that comes just with words or religious pedigree or ethnicity or biology and true faith that is given by God, that is given by God and then gives us a hunger and a thirst for only what he can do. So what are the implications? There are three that I want to talk about here tonight from what we learned. First, we need to hear. This woman had heard of what Jesus had done. There's a reason that she ran in and immediately went to Jesus and not Peter or James or John or anyone else. She went straight to Jesus because she had heard what Jesus had done. At least tonight you have heard about what Jesus has done. You're hearing about what Jesus has done. Maybe you've heard the good news somewhere else. Maybe you've heard the good news of what Jesus has done for you previously. And that's the first step. We have to hear that it's good news. We've been talking about this theme throughout the book of Mark, this good news of Jesus, this good news of the kingdom. We keep hearing from the very beginning in Mark chapter one, that believing the good news means turning from all the bad news and turning to the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. First, we have to hear the good news, and it has to sound like good news so that we know that it's good news. This woman has heard the good news of Jesus, and then she can respond to him. So first, we have to hear the good news of Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you're new to church, if you're new to Jesus, if you're new to this good news, if you even have questions right now about What what is this guy talking about when he talks about good news? Keep exploring what Jesus has to say. Keep exploring the book of Mark. Keep exploring scripture with us here or at home on your own. I want to encourage you that if you have heard the good news before, if you have received the good news before, to keep saturating your life with the good news. We forget that it's good news. We forget to come to Jesus immediately to fall at his feet and call him Lord and say, please, 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 please do what only you can do. We need to hunger and thirst for his righteousness so we can be satisfied. Satisfied. I find so often in my life that I'm not satisfied. The things don't live up to what they should. My bread doesn't always look like the pictures on the screen. Bose does. It must be the beard power. I don't know what's going on, but 
His does. Mine doesn't. So many things don't satisfy perfectly. They don't live up to the billing. They oversell what they're really going to be. But Jesus doesn't. When we hunger and thirst for him, he truly satisfies us. Also, there's hope for us here because so often we're hungry for something more and we think there's something wrong with us. We hunger for a deeper relationship with him. We hunger for more meaningful relationships. We hunger for more in our daily walk with Jesus and walking in his spirit. We want something more for our family. We want something more for our community or our world. And we start to think there's something wrong with us. But that's the beginning of hunger, of hungering that something would change and knowing that Jesus is the only one to satisfy. So first, we have to hear the good news of who Jesus is. And then the next step is to truly believe. What I mean by this is showing our belief by our actions. This woman falls down at Jesus' feet. She shows that she is hungry by coming to Jesus. This is the difference between the Gentiles in these stories and the Pharisees and disciples in these stories. The Gentiles in this story, the woman and then the deaf and mute man, they truly believe that Jesus can heal them because they come and they beg him to do so. They hunger to be satisfied. They hunger to be healed. They hunger to be freed. And so they come to Jesus. And the disciples say, Jesus, we don't have enough bread. The ones in this story that would say they believe or should, by all statistics, by the eye test, believe, don't. They don't come to Jesus to be satisfied. So next, we need to truly believe by coming to Jesus. We spend so much of our life trying to think rightly about Jesus, which is important. The first step is here. We have to rightly hear the good news. We have to rightly understand the good news. We devote our life to studying what the good news is, but it has to lead to true belief, a hunger for the things of Jesus, a hunger for the things of his kingdom. So next, we truly believe. And then after we've heard the good news and we truly believe the good news and we come to Jesus and we're satisfied, we're like the people that see the deaf, stammering man turned into someone that can hear and someone that can sing for joy. We proclaim. It says they were astonished and they proclaimed he does all things well. This word proclaim, we've talked about this in Mark. When we see the word proclaim in the book of Mark, it means preach. When we think of preaching, we think of what I'm doing right here. Music stand, pulpit, guy standing far away from you with the funny mic up here and the slides. That's what we think of when we hear preach. When Mark says proclaim, he's using the word preach. Proclaiming with our voice the good news that we have received. So we hear the good news, we respond to the good news, and then we tell everyone the good news. They were astonished at what they saw Jesus do, and they couldn't help but preach, he does all things well. Their whole life was saying, he does all things well. 
Don't you think the man healed of his deafness and his stammering tongue that he was most likely born with told everybody what Jesus had done for him? Don't you think this Syrio-Phoenician woman who knew and even acknowledged she deserved nothing from Jesus told everyone what this Jewish man had done for her? We now proclaim the good news of what Jesus has done for us. We proclaim it with our entire lives. We proclaim it with our actions. We proclaim it with our words. We can proclaim it with our life. We so often think that we have to have this well-oiled, perfectly stated gospel presentation or a perfect life or this perfect strategy or this perfect Jesus juke to be able to talk to people about Jesus or to share our faith about what God has done. Primarily what evangelism, outreach, sharing our faith is, is just telling the good news of what God has done for us. It's by the word of our testimony that the enemy is defeated at the end of all things. It's by the word of our testimony that the good news of the gospel goes forward. Next week, we're going to talk more about this. We're uh, about to head into an incredible section of scripture. It's the turning point of the book of Mark. To this point, Jesus has been teaching us and showing us what the kingdom of God is like with his actions, with his parables, with his healings, with his teachings. He's been telling us what the kingdom is like. And then chapter eight ends with Peter finally proclaiming who Jesus really is. And then in chapter nine, Jesus starts his march to the cross. Next week, we're going to take a look at what it means when Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find true life. And whoever takes up his cross and follows me can be my disciple. Next week, we're going to take a look at very practical ways that we can truly believe the gospel with our actions. I've been teaching a group of future pastors and elders um, how to go about putting together a sermon. And we've been talking a lot about how often we start with scripture, but then we jump into what we want to talk about and how that's the wrong thing to do. That Next week, that's what we're going to do. I'll just tell you right now. We're going to take a look at what the scripture says and what it means for a little bit. And then we're going to talk a lot about application, how we can really show true belief and what it looks like to take up our cross and follow Jesus, not just in our heads, but really in our actions. In just a moment, we're going to sing one more song. And this song is fitting for tonight because it talks about feasting at the Lord's table where we are truly satisfied. And it talks about feasting at the Lord's table in Zion. We've already sang a little bit about Zion tonight. We're going to sing another song about the city of Zion. Throughout scripture, that is used to describe the dwelling place of God. One day, the dwelling place of God will be with man, and we will feast and be satisfied forever, Jews and Gentiles alike, people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, forever being satisfied in him and proclaiming the good news of what he has done for us. So tonight, our benediction, our good news, our good word, our sending is going to be all of us singing together and proclaiming that we will feast together in Zion someday. Would you stand with me? 
Let's pray, and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, thank you. When we come to you, when we hunger and thirst for your righteousness, we will be filled. Jesus, we are starving for the things of you. We are starving for the transformation that your word and your spirit bring to our lives. Jesus, we need what only you can provide. Jesus, we proclaim because of what you have done that one day we will feast in Zion and we will be satisfied and we will feast with some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, not based on our own merit, but based on the merit of Jesus and what he has done. Jesus, we celebrate you now and we proclaim all that you have done.